Welcome to Management Matters, an award-winning National Academy of Public Administration podcast where policy meets practice. I'm Brenna Isman, Director of Academy Studies, and I'm thrilled to be joining NAPA fellow Bill Greenwald, who chaired our study panel for our 13-month engagement with the Department of Defense, reviewing the roles and responsibilities of the components related to missile defense. That panel also included NAPA fellows Elliot Branch, Susan Kinney Perkins, Bill Phillips, and Ambassador Joseph Westfall. We're also joined by Senior Project Director Roger Codet, who led the study team that conducted the research and analysis for this important congressionally directed work. Before we get started, a little bit about both Bill and Roger. Bill has longstanding experience in federal acquisition and industrial-based issues. He currently sits on several corporate boards and is a non-resident senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where he focuses on the defense management and innovation and founded the Silicon Valley Defense Group. Bill has served in senior positions at the Department of Defense in Congress and began his career at the then U.S. General Accounting Office. While working in Congress, he served as a senior staff member for multiple Senate committees, as well as House Appropriations. As Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Industrial Policy, he advised the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition Technology and Logistics on matters related to the defense and commercial industrial bases. Bill has also worked in the private sector for Lockheed Martin and the Aerospace Industries Association. Roger Kodat has led more than 40 projects for NAPA. He brings 20 years of commercial investment banking experience with J.P. Morgan Chase and six years of senior-level federal government experience at the Department of the Treasury. Appointed by President George W. Bush in 2001 to serve as Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Treasury, he was responsible for federal financial policy. At NAPA, Roger has led projects across numerous cabinet agencies, the state of Oklahoma, and with key regulatory and oversight organizations, providing guidance on management and governance issues, strategic planning, and change management. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. The congressional charge called for a study on mis- missile defense, Roger, and when it's a broad and, and complex subject, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about the topics that Congress requested be addressed in this report and how the panel and study team approached this challenging research. Well, thank you, Brenna. It's great to be on this podcast with you and particularly with Bill Greenwald. Thank you, Bill, for being our panel chair. Great to be working with a wonderful study team and excellent panel members. So the Congress basically asked us to tie a ribbon around a bolt of lightning. If you think about the five components of the scope of work as delivered in the NDAA, we were asked to provide a comprehensive assessment and analysis of DOD component roles and responsibilities for the full range of integrated air and missile defense activities That includes establishing requirements, research and development, system acquisition, and operations and sustainment. And that was only the first of the five pieces of the scope of work. The second is to identify gaps in component capability of each applicable component of the DOD in performing its assigned roles. Um, Third, to identify opportunities for de-conflicting mission sets and eliminating areas of unnecessary duplication, reducing waste, and then improving efficiency across the full range of integrated air and missile defense activities. 
Fourth, developing a timetable for the implementation of the opportunities we find. And then finally, develop a recommendation for legislative and administrative action. And we were given originally 12 months to do this work. We were very fortunate under the leadership of our panel and also in our engagement with the Office of the Secretary of Defense, which was our principal interface during this year, to have an excellent set of people at the Pentagon as well as in our panel uh, to work with, as well as an engagement with the Congress to understand whether the entire range of air and missile threats were indeed included in a 12-month study. Uh, And thankfully, uh, through a very robust and healthy conversation with congressional staff, with the Office of the Secretary, and of course, under the guidance of Bill Greenwald and his panel colleagues, we agreed to slice it a little bit thinner and take the air component out. So instead of IAMD, integrated air and missile defense, thankfully, uh, we had a, a bit more of a narrow focus with missile defense, which became, of course, the name of this report, Integration of Missile Defense. What that means is that we took out the air dimension Uh, but we kept the missile dimension in place. And what does that mean? Well, there are four missile threat types that we were therefore invited to examine with respect to the roles and responsibilities. Ballistic missiles, hypersonic systems, cruise missiles, and uncrewed aircraft systems. That in and of itself is a massive undertaking, and we were very grateful to be able to at least have a a smaller slice of what is an otherwise very large component of what DOD does every day. That in mind, we were also able to take a look at the requirements, which included setting requirements, also the research and development component of that, as uh, mentioned earlier, and then acquisition and operational sustainment. Another piece to this, which is very important as we talk about what did we do, was to feature the fact that we were at working on an unclassified basis. National Academy of Public Administration may not be a surprise based on those four words, do not appear at face value to be uh, defense experts or even strategic rocket, although I would suggest that we are rocket scientists in some way, shape, or form. But what we were brought in to do is to look at this topic from the standpoint of public administration and organizational structure and organizational operation. Indeed, it takes very little time to convince anyone in thinking about the missile defense threat and the enterprise to defend against it. Um, that this is a very complex set of organizations and pieces that we'll talk about further in the course of this podcast. But this is an unclassified study, but uh, we had excellent access, we have to say, in our interviews, of course, across the nine or 10 months that we were doing our research before we were writing the report. And to that end, we want to thank and appreciate the individuals, civilian and military, across the Department of Defense, from the most senior levels who received us, as well as to all others who engaged with us along the way. Many, many individuals, men and women, very talented, with decades of experience, worked with us 
on a not for attribution basis in interviews to assist us in understanding the challenges of setting roles and responsibilities and identifying them, and then to move on to the other features of the uh, report and the scope of it. And then, of course, we looked at documentary sources and unclassified. And the last thing I'll say in response to your question, Brenna, we were to a person, man and woman, impressed with the quality, the professionalism, the expertise, and the drive and passion that the men and women of Protect Us Every Day have. Missile defense, active missile defense, which is what this report speaks about, is tantamount to a bullet hitting a bullet. The individuals who are doing this work and the defense contractors that are working with our Department of Defense to do that, along with our allies, are truly amazing individuals. And uh, so it was a great experience, and I hope that I've given uh, your audience, Brenna, a chance to understand what we're tackling, but perhaps Bill will have something to add. I think kind of in a nutshell, what Congress was looking for was an independent assessment by not necessarily a group of technologists, but but a group of, of, of managerial experts who can help explain and assess the the potential managerial challenges that the, this function of missile defense faces in the department. And I think that's how the, the task we took on, and that was what Congress was looking for. Well, it's quite a bolt of lightning, Roger, to use your analogy. And uh, this has been an exciting study because for once we couldn't say this isn't rocket science because it really was. So that was an exciting opportunity for us. Thanks for setting the stage of what the the language asks us for. It'd be great to turn our attention a little bit, Bill, to some of the specifics. And I know one of the areas of focus in this report was around roles and responsibilities across the scope of work and that concern for de-conflicting mission sets, obviously with an eye towards identifying duplication and inefficiencies. I was hoping that you could talk a little bit more about that and, and where the report came out on those areas. You know, obviously, this was an interest of Congress. Congress, actually, some of the members of Congress, and and Roger, you can even talk a little bit more about this. Is have you know continuously asked the department who's responsible for what, and it's very difficult for the department to articulate that. And so, what the staff did, and and the report outlines, is a a going in and looking at the various roles and responsibilities in, in each subset of of, of mission. And 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 this was this was a really a a great uh, addition to to the literature and an understanding of, of of where things are going, but but the reality is there's no one individual organization in charge. What is the problem with that? It's that the the history of of each of these functions has evolved over time, and to meet one set of missions or an individual geographical mission or uh, an agency mission or or a need. That was out there. And, and over the last 50 or 60 years, we have a patchwork of, of various capabilities, of programs, of individuals in, in charge. And the issue is when you do all that and you have very stovepiped responsibilities and roles, you have seams. And, and when you have seams, you have the potential for things will be missed and you have the potential for inefficiencies. And that's a number of things that the study team found were were some of these inefficiencies. They're deriving from lack of authority. In other words, bringing together two programs and and perhaps adding a million dollars in to integrate those programs 
uh, along a joint mission uh, segment could create vast deficiencies. But instead, you know, the, through the through the budget process, through the acquisition process, through who's responsible for what, leads to these seams and and potential issues that don't get resolved. And so we we have that issue that's that that's out there. And and frankly, the ideas we looked at there there just wasn't enough of this integration working through. I mean, there are, there are individuals that are responsible to try to bring that together up in up in OSD and 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 so on. But it's not always an easy task to do. There's a need for for sufficient clarity around these roles and responsibilities and 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 processes as well. Why is all this important? I think we we should just step back for just a second and say, well, you know, this is all about charts and and and, and organizational structures and, and acquisition authorities. But but what we're seeing today in in Ukraine is that a wide variety of threats are being used. A wide variety of capabilities are being used in the battle today to threaten populations and uh, the military of, of of the Ukrainians. That is is a case study for us to take a look at and 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 say this is the way NATO the threats NATO are going to face. This is the threats we're going to face in the Far East. This is a threat that our forces face today. And understanding how to meet these threats and maximizing the potential of bringing together and and creating mechanisms to deal with the seams that are currently uh, in, in place is something that that will not only enhance national security, but also lead to greater and better efficiencies and effectiveness of, of the department. Roger, do you have anything to add, add after that? It's hard to add anything because you brought so many uh, great points to the table, Bill. There was an intriguing reference in a Senate hearing on May 9th, 2023, with Senator Angus King of Maine posing a question to four distinguished leaders in the missile defense enterprise. But his question was, if I have a question about missile defense, who do I ask? And it's not to be impolite to the four distinguished individuals who have served our nation well, but it's the issue of there wasn't an immediate off the tip of their tongue answer. Now, what does that say? I suspect, like Bill has suggested, it's a very complicated threat and it's multidimensional and you can't always just have one organization that does everything. But I suspect that to have clarity around roles and responsibilities is critical. And as we interviewed individuals on behalf of the panel. So the panel wasn't in our interviews necessarily. We distilled and summarized them to our panel. We would always ask, can you just give us the list of roles and responsibilities for acquisition uh, and requirement setting and operational sustainment for cruise missiles? Or can you give us the list? And we're not, we weren't trying to dumb it down and be impolite, but there is no list that was available to us. We were intensely grateful for many of our counterparts during the course of the year who agreed to look at what is the final version that it, it came in the report, which are some excellent figures that say, what are the roles and responsibilities for the four missile threat types and who does what? We got great input from that. And we hope, and this is one of the recommendations in the panel's report, is that these roles and responsibilities get updated on a regular basis and be used in engagement with the Congress so that there's clarity for them, the points that Bill made so very well. 
Now, that's really helpful to understand. And I think that the examples of members of Congress that are grappling with this and, and tying it to something as current and um, resonant as Ukraine really takes us from the theoretical to, you know, really what this means in practice. Roger, I, I want to come back a little bit to some of the recommendations that I think respond to some of the roles and responsibilities. But before we do that, I just wanted to just touch on one other aspect of the, re- the report that I think is an important one that, Bill, I'd, I'd love it if you could share where the report focuses on some need for flexibilities in acquisition and to better, you know, how to better govern the complex and enterprise. I'd love if we could talk about that a little bit so that we really have a, a sense of what some of the, the most driving issues were. No, sure. Bringing it back to, to Ukraine, bringing it back to the current threat environment, there is a growing threat out there that's moving very fast. And we're seeing in, in incredibly new capabilities and new ways of using old capabilities that essentially are somewhat surprising. And that means the way we counter those threats or get ahead of those threats has to be more agile, has to be faster, has to be able to quickly pivot to address that. And that's essentially our acquisition, our budgeting, and our requirement system, which is the overarching acquisition system writ large. And Congress understood this 20 years ago, and frankly, uh, then Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld under, understood this in 2002 when and, uh, Missile Defense Agency was stood up, that they needed a faster way to, to go. That acquisition, flexible acquisition system was given to MDA, but it wasn't given to the rest of the department. And they moved along for the last 20 some odd years and working through flexible requirements. They had some flexible budget authority. And most importantly, they had ways to address and, and uh, their, their overarching acquisition system. 20 years is a long time. And over the course of the, the, the two decades, various administrations or congressional NDAAs sometimes picked apart those, those authorities and, and rolled them back. And even though Congress created a larger acquisition authority, which I had the great benefit of working with Senator McCain and, and the Congress on when I was last in the Senate, that applied to portions of, of the department. And Missile Defense Agency hasn't quite gotten back to the way it used to be. And so one of the recommendations here is let's restore some of those. Uh, let's restore that, that acquisition environment. Let's restore those flexibilities that helped the uh, Missile Defense Agency be more agile and acquire uh, at the speed of relevancy. And not just MDA, but frankly, when these roles and responsibilities are consolidated or or worked through, each unit that is is responsible for meeting these threats should have those same authorities as well. Your argument in this report really opened the aperture for a potential expansion of the authorities that MDA has appreciated. And we've noted in the report that there have been some efforts to stifle, to some extent, those flexibilities, which you argue against. But what's also um, been proffered in the report is the idea of allowing those entities, those components responsible for crews and 
crewed aircraft systems outside of MDA's current authority, which is ballistic and hypersonics, to appreciate and enjoy the same flexibilities. And that is a bold recommendation, uh, I would suspect, but it's in keeping with what you've talked about, Bill, obviously, which is a gestation period that's increasingly accelerating on new versions of the lethal threats of crews and uncrewed aircraft systems. So to leave it in the traditional JSONs process, even with some flexibilities in the acquisition process, may not get you where you need to go anymore with the speed of the technology changes. Uh, I was thinking of Ray Kurzweil's quote. He's the chief engineer at Google. And he wrote several years ago, the 21st century is going to allow us to see a tantamount to 20,000 years of change, technology change. That's how fast it's moving. Well, it's pretty bold statement, but I suspect that given the war and the science that's being done, uh, not only in our country and elsewhere, uh, these systems are going to change rapidly. And if we don't stay apace or ahead, uh, we we have some potential consequences we don't want to think about. Our traditional acquisition system is very linear. It takes time to do the Jason's requirements process, two to three years. And then that lets you enter into the budget process another two to three years. And then it allows you to enter into the contracting and acquisition process. That is just not a relevant time frame. And again, middle tier acquisition allows parts of the department to uh, skip some of those lines. But MDA had this first. And MDA had the ability to create a more streamlined acquisition budget and contracting process. And, and really, if, if we want to tackle this threat, we need to ensure that they have the authorities to execute. That's a really critical recommendation. And it was helpful to kind of talk through what this looks like, what it means, and thinking about ways for the organization to be more agile about approaching it and thinking about how the change is so rapid that it's really an an urgent issue. I'd love to talk a little bit more about one of the other report recommendations that I think was was really focal and I think has um, had some really interesting response so far. Um, Roger, could you talk a little bit and give a little bit more of the specifics around the call for establishing an integrator organization? We've kind of touched on why this might be necessary and, and where there could be value, but would love to hear a little bit more about how that evolved in the report into, a, I think, a really critical recommendation. Yes, Brennan. The report has only three recommendations, count them three. And the first is on roles and responsibilities and the clarity. The second is what Bill just finished talking about the desperate need for greater flexibilities for the system to be updated. And the third, which is the end of the crescendo in my mind, is to introduce an integrator organization. And the context of this is what? What we've been talking about. It's fairly gloomy. We'll we'll try to go fast, but it's it's critical to get the context. All the weapons that we're facing, these four threat types of weapons, these missiles, are incredibly complex in their technology, many of them. They're global in scale in terms of where they might appear. And (laughs) enemies don't tell you when it's going to happen. It's just going to happen. It's a surprise. And therefore, the vigilant men and women every day and every night are amazing for us, and we're grateful for them. But then it requires a time-sensitive response if it's a hypersonic 
weapon or a, a cruise missile or an uncrewed aircraft system that is perhaps launched near a, a target that is uh, either American troops, where they could be on Guam or the homeland, anywhere. And then they're lethal, for goodness sake. And then they're multidimensional in how they might appear and how they may, their flight path. And there are ever-increasing numbers of of countries that are seeking to get these weapons. All this is the context of why do we need an integrator, for goodness sake? And that's a fair question to ask. But what we found in our discussions with a fair amount of, you want to say, frankness and candor amongst those we talked with, is that acquisition authorities are fragmented across the multiple components that have missile defense responsibilities. And that not all the components within the missile acquisition framework have the flexibilities that, as we've talked about, the Missile Defense Agency is afforded. And then furthermore, there's no effective top-down technical authority to achieve interoperability. So there's no one individual at the moment, if unless you want to talk about the head of state or the secretary of defense, but otherwise there is no one who actually oversees all the workings of all the components that are engaged in the four threat types, no effective technical authority top-down, and an organizational structure that's rather complicated and difficult to work across at times, although with good effort by everyone involved. And it's really true that services are not always incentivized to prioritize integrated missile defense. That we heard in several occasions. So there's a number of areas of opportunity for improvement, and that's what the panel decided to seize on in its report, to call for one organization to oversee, to coordinate, and to integrate for requirements, acquisition, and operational sustainment. The panel is not saying that silos are the wrong way around. Silos are a natural tendency on the part of all humans to be tribal. It's a very strong part of the organization to have specialists in particular missile issues to be working closely together. That's going to enhance the system. But what we need is an organization at the top that can bring these groups together to communicate well amongst each other, which is not always a natural act and can be complicated. So we want to have an integrator that is called for in this report that builds cohesion, this is an important word, accountability, to hold people accountable within this enterprise, and then interoperability. We're not expecting one particular entity to do everything. The strength of our defense is with its various components, but it's bringing them together to communicate and to be interoperable. And to have this integrator to ensure that there's formal and informal engagements across the lines, simplifying and streamlining an enterprise structure. And also, I want to suggest that early and consistent input from the warfighter and services. We also stress in here to the great credit of this report, the importance of a proximity of the integrator to civilian decision makers. This is very important and it was stressed by both military and civilians alike And the panel calls for this integrator to have a four-star leadership. 
to be able to drive the integration that's needed. So the panel falls short of saying how you should do it, how the Department of Defense should do it. We had a number of very senior officers and officials tell us how they think it could work. We decided not to write about that per se, but it will allow the Department of Defense to get the contours in this report and then go to work for itself as it deems fit to get this organization in place. You know, 20 years ago, there was an integrated organization needed for ballistic missile threat. And a missile defense agency was created to address national missile defense and, and tactical missile defense, ballistic missile defense. The threat arrangement is much more complex today. And so missile defense agency, you know, moved on and did what it did. And in one sense, it's its, its own silo now. There's a need to look at these threat types from a larger point, probably even much larger than we were able to do because we essentially didn't have the time to look at some of the other threats, whether they're submarine launched or uh, air launched. But there is that need, and it's, a, and it's a compelling management need that needs to be looked at. But then again, the department needs to get its arms around that and figure out how to solve that problem. Winding down this conversation that I think has really been helpful to share some of the details of some, as you said, Roger, not a lot of recommendations in number, but in terms of the guidance on on where the department can go and where there might be opportunities to, I think, incorporate in managed risk and failures in a way that's going to really move this process along and enable, I think, us as a nation to kind of stay ahead of our enemies a little bit. There's some real critical um, next steps that I, that this report really, I think, sets up nicely and not in an overly prescriptive way, but in a way that really provides some opportunities for thinking through next steps. So as we're winding down, though, I'd, I'd really love, Bill, if there was anything else that any concluding thoughts about the report, anything that you'd hoped we'd covered or anything else that you want to say to kind of take us over the finish line of this conversation that's been a fascinating one for sure. The key thing here is we need agility, we need clarity, we need speed, we need to be better integrated to use our resources in the most efficient, effective manner. Why? Because this is a matter of national survival, and we're seeing that uh, in, in the current conflict uh, in Europe. The threat is consistently increasing, and it's different than what it was. And so what got us to the current situation is not going to you know, so what got us here is not going to get us get us there. And we have to kind of figure out a new way of doing things. This is really a hard, technically complex issue. There's little room for error. We need to move fast and be agile, but this really is rocket science. And we need to ensure that the technical approaches are sound. So I, I think, you know, speed, agility, we got to move fast. The threat's moving. And so these are some ideas that we put out there. We hope the department will act on Congress will take a look at it and move forward because this is just so critical to, to national security. I want to basically say how wonderful it was to, to work with the team here. Uh, we had a, a, a terrific relationship with the Department of Defense who, who provided access at, 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 at a tremendous uh, level of access and, and, and data. And then we had just a top-notch study team led by Roger who uh, uh, just really, really worked hard on this this project and, and came up with some some terrific solutions and and and, and so on. So I want to want to thank the study team. I want to thank Roger. I want to thank the Department of Defense and and Congress for for getting ahead of what is a uh, a really difficult and challenging problem. 
Bill, I want to thank you and, and Roger again for all you do to support the Academy and to help us deliver important, impactful reports. I think we made the case that this one certainly is, is important, impactful. And of course, thank you for speaking with me today. For more information about this and other Academy studies, I would encourage folks to go to www.napawash.org. And for our listeners, check back every Monday for a new podcast from the Academy as we work to support a just, fair, and inclusive government that strengthens communities and protects democracy. And as always, thank you for listening.